You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Glad you are with us. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that for most of us will be a review on the concepts uh, that we bring up and the uh, the ideas that we will present on the fact that there is a pattern for us in the scriptures to follow in all things. Well, we need to be reminded of this from time to time, and it's been a few years since we've been on this, and we'll have a couple lessons on this. We'll have one more to follow at least on some applications of these things. But today, sort of the principle behind it all, the way of God that is revealed in scripture as a true pattern, a form for us to follow. So in the history of God's people, there has been, uh, you go through the Old Testament and you go through the New, and there have been uh, times where people say, I don't want to do what God has said. And the prophet Jeremiah was to tell the people this, Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths or the old paths where the good way is. And walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. And so there's a good way, and an old way, and a way in which God has directed us to walk. In First Peter 2, we're told to follow in the steps of Jesus. It's always been so that God has had a way for us to walk. Now, in the rebellious days of Jeremiah, the verse sadly concludes this, but the people said, we will not walk in it. And so there are those who will walk in the way of God in this pattern, And there will those who will not. Now, if you have a right pattern, a right form, uh, you know if you build by that and walk by that, you know what you're going to get. So I have these pictures here, and hopefully you can see them. Those are uh, concrete forms. Somebody has prepared the ground and dug out and and put down forms on the ground where they are going to pour the concrete. Now, if we can see those forms, and I wish the picture were a little clearer, but if we see where the form for concrete is, when they pour the concrete, where are they going to put it? Right there in the middle of the forms. And we can already tell, can't we, what that's going to kind of look like. We know what the forms look like. We know what the result will look like. Or I have this picture. And again, I do wish it were a little bit uh, clearer and better, but that's the best picture I could find. That is a, like a, a, a yoke or a vest type thing. And there is a, an accompanying one that goes with it. That's the sleeves. And so if you see that pattern... And I remember my, my mother used to have all the, the stacks of McCalls uh, in those various envelopes and, and sort it out. And if you knew what the pattern was, then you could pretty well tell what the result would be. And on the front of those McCall patterns, they, they had uh, the different uh, variations you could make from, from the pattern. Or uh, here's one that was, uh, and I hope you can see this, a little nearer and dearer to my heart. If we, have, uh, if we fold the paper according to the pattern, hold on. You're here for prop day. See, you get one of these. You get one of these. And so if you, saw, if you follow the pattern, you get the right product, right? I'm not going to throw it. I considered it. I'm not going to. Kids, afterwards, if one of y'all want to come get this, go ahead. Henry or William, come get it if you like after church. But you, you know what the pattern is. Now, I've got to say, I don't think I followed the pattern very well. When I tried it, it just it, it didn't do so well. Often following the pattern is difficult, isn't it? Especially if you're inexperienced or if the pattern isn't clear. 
right? Uh, there's a reason why my wife will not let me buy IKEA furniture. I mean, they've got a big pattern there. They've got a multi-page pattern. It's all pictures. There's hardly even any words. And what words there are, I'm not sure what language they are, but, but, it, but that, that should be doable. But. All right, so if we have as a pattern the scriptures, what would be the product? If we have a pattern of the scriptures, what should be the product? Now, I have to say, if you go around and look today at all the different things that, that say and claim to be Christian churches, you've got to wonder if some people are reading the pattern or not, Right? Because what will pass for Christianity and Christian doctrine and Christian practice in some places? I just about anything imaginable. And so you got to say, did they, did they look at that? Did, did they look at the instruction book at all? What we should find as a product is many people with faith in Christ and then those in various locations who have faith in Christ forming up local churches with elders and deacons with teachers and various other offices and members. That's what we should find. That's what we should find. I don't, think any, I don't see anything else but that in the pattern. But some people would say, no, no, we need a denominational structure. Or, or we need a worship that does this and has that element that's not in the book. Or we need some uh, uh, you know, approval of various uh, ways of living and sinful practices uh, or alternate lifestyles, take your pick, how you want to call them, that, that aren't in the book. Uh, so we, we have different practices among people today. We have different organizations among people today. Uh, we have different types of worship today. And some churches can't make up their mind. They'll offer two different kinds at different hours or in different rooms. Uh, if you like this, go there. If you like this, go there. Go to Hall A or go to you know, Auditorium B. Well, what does the pattern say? So what we find in the scripture is there's worship and there's teaching. There's teaching done to edify and there's teaching done uh, to the lost in evangelism. And there's charity uh, to brethren and, uh, who are in need. And that's what we find in that regard what the pattern is. Now, in future lessons, we can look at some more details of these things. But this is the pattern that we find. And so, what we need to first recognize, now that we've laid out these basic things, is go back and say and prove, I think, and I do think we need to prove this, that there really is a pattern. That it isn't just up to us to make up things as we would like, but there is actually a pattern. Now, I'm on real solid ground with saying that, I believe, because of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, uh, excuse me, 13, where he says, retain the standard of sound words. And in some of the old translations, it will actually say uh, the, the word pattern, or it will say the word form. So retain the standard, the form or the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So one thing we don't want to make the error of, of, uh, of saying is that when we hold uh, true and fast and near to the pattern, we'll be, it'll be said that we're unloving in that. But it says hold this pattern in faith and love. And so don't be unloving in, in holding this, but the, the part of the pattern is faith and love. But in faith and love, Timothy, hold, retain, Keep to, hold fast with, the pattern. 
And so, you know, we have in the scriptures this pattern or this model, this plan or this guide, uh, these specifications. You think about all the things that we do, uh, and there's, there'll be specs, right? What does the spec sheet say? Uh, what does the standard say? Or uh, what does the example look like? Or what does the model look like? And so sometimes we'll have a model of a thing and copy that. Sometimes we'll have uh, an example page, follow that. Sometimes we'll have a plan or a guide, again, a blueprint. We'll have some sort of specifications to follow. These are to be held fast to in the Christ Jesus. These are to be retained, another translation says, in this way. So the Apostle Paul says to the preacher, keep with the pattern I showed you. Keep with the pattern that I showed you. Now, that's not a new concept. In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, uh, we're, we're told this, that uh, it's, it's a quote from Exodus 25 and verse 40, when it talks about uh, Moses uh, having uh, overseen the, the uh, building and maintaining of the tabernacle. It's talking about those who serve in a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, See that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. And so that tabernacle was made by the pattern shown on the mountaintop. And so we think about all the revelation that Moses got on the mountaintop. First part he brings down is the Ten Commandments. Of course, by the time he brings down the Ten Commandments, what are the people doing? <laughs> they're, making, they're breaking them, though they'd heard them from the voice of God, and he smashes the tablets, and he has to go back up and, and get another copy of the tablets, and he gets a lot more instruction as well. But of all that instruction that Moses got on the mountaintop, he was also given a pattern for the tabernacle. And so the fact that that building was this many cubits and that many cubits, and we could go back and read many chapters of Leviticus, could we not, and find out about that? And, uh, you, you know, the, so the, the porpoise skins that went over the whole thing, so it had a waterproof cover. Basically, it was, it was a tent with three roofs, right? And it, was, it had poles, and it, it, there's, there's verses after verse that talk about the, the fasteners that fit the poles together, and the poles are this uh, made of this kind of wood, and the fasteners are made of this. And, and then it gets all the way down to who gets to, when we take this thing apart, to move it from place to place, who's supposed to carry which part, right? There, there was an order of operations there. And they were to do all things by the pattern that was shown them. Now, there, there are several things uh, which are different in that regard than ours. Uh, I have never been in another church building that looks like this one. You ever been in another church building that looks exactly like this one? Why no? Because what's our pattern? Does our pattern tell us how big to build the building? Which direction it should face? In the tabernacle, that was a big deal. Which direction it faced? Does, does it matter which building, direction our building faces? Well, and things like that? No. What matters is that we assemble, and what matters is how we worship in it. But we're not given such instructions as that old law, where there was one that was to be made with exactly these dimensions. So I don't think I've ever been in two church buildings that have the same dimensions, Right? And I definitely don't think I've been in any with the craftsmanship of the tabernacle, read about how they built that. But in any case, there were things in the Old Testament that were important to God, and God specified them. There's things in the New Testament that are important to God, and God has specified those. And so when we speak, we do this. 1 Peter 4 and 11, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were, 
of the utterances, or the old King James will say the oracles of God. So speak the things which God speaks. And whoever serves, let him do it with the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And so here's the goal of it all, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the whole Christian existence, isn't it? Glory to God. Glory to God through Jesus Christ. And so when we do the things that God has said to do, what do we know that does? It brings glory to God. When we do things that God has not yet specified, it hasn't told us, uh, how do we know that that is glorifying to God or not? No, we don't. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God specified, amongst the many different things he specified for the people, was he specified the people not eat pork. And he specified the people not eat shellfish. Now, I've got to tell you, last night I had a beautiful plate of food that had both of that in it. And I ate that to the glory of God. And, and, and I, well, I, I literally praised God for it because I was the one who asked, was asked to say the blessing for it. Where we thank God for the food, and there was shellfish, and there was pork in there, and I was happy for it. And if you were there last night, weren't you? I saw some of your plates, so go ahead and nod or amen, because I, I saw the leavings of some of those, of those uh, things of shrimp. But if God hadn't revealed to the Old Testament people that those things were on the forbidden list for them, for whatever purposes it was, and it was... But if God had not revealed that to them in the Old Testament, don't you think they would have enjoyed the shellfish and the pork just as much as us? And don't you think they would have thought that was glory to God? But instead, if a Jewish person who claims to be a follower of the law has the shellfish and the pork, how could they possibly say that's to the glory of God? Because what could anybody who knows how to read and use an index do? Look up those verses and say, hey, what about this here? Buddy, and he goes, well, I do it to the glory of God anyway. No, but God said not to for you. No, but I think God will like it. But he said not to. And so I think it's a great and terrible thing to try and presume what would be glory to God or not. And so today there are things that God has not specifically forbidden by direction. He didn't put it on the thou shalt not list. But he also didn't put it on the thou shall list. And I think we have enough on the thou shall list to keep our plate full, as it were. Uh, But uh, if God has said do it, we can do it to the glory of God. If God has not specified it, is it by the pattern or not? So we go back to the concrete forms. And what if the guy who's putting out the forms say, I think it'd be good to have another room over here on this side. You don't want that guy, do you? Does he know what you're planning later to do with that side of the building? Maybe that's where your big picture window goes, and now you can't put that there because he's done built another room. Or maybe he's going to go over budget with it, or, or maybe he's going to uh, uh, break some code because goodness knows if we're going to build anything, we've got a lot of codes to deal with. But you know, <clears throat> if, you, <clears throat> if the guy putting the forms down just decides to add another form and build over there too, how does he know that's to the glory or to the pleasure or even to the legality, uh, to, to the benefit of the owner? He doesn't know that in the least. And so it is with some things that people think, well, I just do this for the glory of God. Well, how do you know that's to God's glory? Because I'm sure it is. I really like it. A lot of us really like it. Or we've been doing that around here for a long time. 
No, well, whoever speaks, and then, of course, following whatever practice, it has to be by the utterances of God. As it says in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we very much have a pattern. And I think we have to say, as we've already been stressing, but we'll just say it directly. The pattern we follow, the words we say in the name of God, the actions we take in the name of God are of vital importance. And I think really, and it was our brother Tom who pointed this out to me, and I think he's on to something. When we have the first commandment, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. Very often people take that to mean no profanity. And particularly no profanity that's God invoking. Now, brethren, lay off all profanity, especially God, God invoking profanity. Lay it all off. But I think that not taking the name of the Lord God in vain is more than that. It's about, I think, often those who would say over a thing, this is God's will. Or we're doing this for God. And they call God's name over a thing where God's name has not, should not be. And where God has given no instruction. Uh, think about the great sin of Israel, that which it continually says in the Old Testament that uh, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, caused Israel to sin, which was the golden calves at Dan and at Bethel. And what did they say about those places of worship of those calves? They said they worshiped God through these idolatrous structures. And they called God's name there continually. But what did God have to do with those idolatrous structures and the worship of him there? He had nothing to do with it. He was opposed to it from the start. And at the very time, the very first time they ever worshipped there, what did he do? He sent a prophet up there to, to give it a curse. And when the prophet gave the curse and Jeroboam raised his hand to point out the man they should then arrest for saying such audacious things, his hand withered. And by the grace of God, through the prayer of the prophet, the hand was restored. And the man was allowed to go in peace. But guess what they kept doing the next day? Worshiping God with those idolatrous structures. I think that's far more of a taking the Lord's name in vain than profanity. Now, again, I'm not approving profanity, especially God invoking profanity. But what does the scripture say about doing things in God's way if we're going to do them in God's name? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know we've come to know him if we like him a lot. If the praise band is really loud, no. If we keep his commandments, that's what it actually says. The one who says, I've come to know him, and doesn't keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. How? The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the manner and he walked. So walk his walk. Keep his commandments. Do God's things in God's ways. Have God's name there. You know, one of the great blessings, and it, it, it's such a blessing we can't hardly believe it. But in Hebrews it says he's not ashamed to be called our brethren or be called with the brethren. He calls us his brethren. He's made us his family. When we say this is Christ's church, that's not just a name we had to pick, you know, for legal reasons uh, to distinguish us from others. But this really should reflect the relationship that he's with us. That when we gather together in his name, 
in various capacities. In Matthew 18, it's about church discipline, where we first get that. Uh, But also when we come together for the Lord's Supper, or in Hebrews 2, when we sing, we're singing with the Lord. We're taking the Lord's Supper with the Lord. We're doing things in the Lord's name with the Lord present with us as one of us. And man, just imagine if you're doing things contrary, doing things not by the pattern, and you say, oh yeah, Jesus is with us in that. Really? Jesus is with you on that? Yeah. Yeah, sure he is. Really? Why does it say that in the book? Oh, no, our, our, church is, our church has done that for a long time. That's what our denomination's always done. Uh, I can read it right here in, in uh, you know, some of the church documents. No, yeah, but what about that book of God thing? Eh, it's okay. Close enough. He didn't say not to. That's the kind of argument we get. Instead, our instruction is this. 1 Timothy 4, this is one of those preacher passages. So this is a, one of those passages particularly for me. It, there's lessons for you all in it too, but it's particularly for those who would uh, teach the word. Paul tells Timothy, and by extension others who would fulfill that role of teaching and, and doing the work of an evangelist, until I come, give attention to public reading of scripture. So read the people the book. This is back in the day when everybody didn't have a book. Uh, and, and the reading of public reading was where they get most of their instruction. But give attention to public reading of scripture and from that then to exhortation and teaching. So read them the book, exhort them and teach them the book. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands of the presbytery or the eldership. So Timothy was an inspired preacher. And before you had the completed word of God, and uh, you think about uh, some of these things we've been studying uh, in the text, and we talk about the place of the text, and when the text was given, you know, Timothy didn't have the New Testament with him. Uh, His first Timothy is written, uh, a third of the New Testament hasn't been written yet, and most of the rest of it hasn't probably been collected in one volume yet. So he's got some of the New Testament scripture, but he's also got inspiration. Today we have the completed word. And about these things it says, even though he is inspired and has a spiritual gift, in verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so your progress may be evident. So let people see you're growing in your knowledge. Let people see you, teacher, are growing in your practice. And pay close attention. Old King James will say, take heed. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those that hear you. And so there's the vital importance of the whole thing. The insurance of salvation for the preacher as he preaches and for the audience as they hear that word, as they are exhorted and taught in that word. There is our assurance of salvation. It's progress in the faith based on what God has actually revealed. So what we find is that Christ and his apostles established for us the pattern that we are to follow. Ephesians 2 and verse 20, it talks about the church. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And so the cornerstone, the very thing that it's all based on, is Jesus Christ. Revealing to us and, and <clears throat> filling out the things of Jesus Christ are the apostles and the prophets. And that's all that we have 
in order to properly build. We have Jesus, we have the apostles, we have the prophets. Now, the preacher helps in that and shows that and reveals that and helps ensure that in his place, his people are taught and exhorted in that unto salvation. But the preacher doesn't have anything to add. He can teach and exhort of these things, but the the preacher or the uh, group of preachers in a denominational structure or whatever people oversee various churches today, what do they have in this to add? Preaching is not a job of adding. It's a job of explaining. It's a job of exhorting. It's a job of, of telling people to please follow this. But what we find is that Christ himself is the source of all the authority. That's why he's the cornerstone. And so here is the origin of our authority. This is why this church can be Christ and not some others. Because he is the origin of the doctrine. And it's about him and for his glory. And the glory to God through him. So his authority. John five twenty six. For just as the father has life in himself. So he gave the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Son of man, the messianic title going back to, to Daniel. He's the Messiah. He has the authority. After the resurrection, it's clearly stated, Jesus said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So there's the authority in the church. The origin of it is Christ. Now, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ the cornerstone. So the apostles and prophets, and we've just shortened it here to apostles. There are some New Testament prophets, not apostles, to whom we also look to as authoritative. Look in your Bible and find names that aren't part of the 12, and that'll be them. But uh, the apostles mainly with some prophets, uh, they're the ones uh, under delegation of Christ uh, have authority to teach in his name. So John 20 it says this in John 20 and 22. And he said this to them, and he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. Today there are ordination ceremonies in various denominations and different structures where people get breathed on. I don't know how that helped. Because what what can those men breathing on others do? But when Jesus breathes on them in this uh, symbolic way of passing the Holy Spirit, that was something. And he said, you guys now have authority to have uh, forgiveness of sins or retention of sins. And I don't think that that's really talking about them individually going around and saying, you're forgiven, you're not. You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're not. I don't think it was that. I think it was the teaching. They forgave or uh, people retain sins uh, based on uh, what the apostles taught and how they responded to that. So I think it's wholesale model here, uh, not retail model, uh, not individual. Although on occasion it comes up. But uh, uh, basically it's by their teaching will come forgiveness or not. And so the authority, origin in Christ, delegated to the apostles and uh, the prophets, and then we come to the place of scripture and the sufficiency of scripture in that the apostles taught us all the things that Christ intended for them to teach us. Do you think the apostles left anything out or added anything extra? No. But what we have is through them 
and then preserved in the word is that authority given to the people and taught directly by the scripture. So we have a sufficiency in what the scripture gave because they reveal all that Christ intended and not anything more than that. So we have things like 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Well, how did we find out about it? We read about it and we've heard about it in the scriptures. For by these he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Well, there's the condemning thing, lust and sin and all that goes with it. How do we get out of that? Well, we became partakers of the divine nature. We became conformed to the image of Christ. How? Well, by the true knowledge of him who called us. What did we learn about him? The apostles taught him. And we read it right in the book, didn't we? And so I've got nothing more to add to that. I don't. I hopefully can give you some insight. And every now and again, you'll go home and go, man, Jay, he really taught us something today. But what can I teach you about what's in the book? All I can do is exhort and explain and teach what's already there. And so it's my job to study that and make pains in that and and, and bring something uh, that will help you from that. But it never can be just from Jay, can it? What good would it be if it were? And so it can't be just for me or any other set of men. It has to be from the book. It's all those precious and magnificent promises of God that it's my job to direct you to and explain to you and show his glory through them. And so as it says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all the scripture, it's inspired by God. Literally, it's God breathed. God breathed it out. God expelled it. He, he brings out the words. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be, and I don't like that translation here of adequate, but perfect. Uh, I don't know if that gets it either, but complete and whole, equipped for every good work. Our wholeness, our completeness comes from and through the word of God. And so it is that word of God that we go to. It is that delegated authority from Christ, sufficient for all that we need, revealed to us. And so the scriptures say, back in the Psalm, the Old Testament Psalm 119, 160, the sum of his word is truth. And so we want to be able to affirm and say the things that all scriptures say. Nearly every false doctrine that I know, nearly all of them, and I know there's some things of just, you know, made up liberalism and no regard for the text. But most of the historic discussions about doctrine, where there's error, I think it's a... It's really just an overemphasis on one truth over another. It's looking at one part of God's truth, not all of it. And so, for instance, our faith only, the people who believe in faith only, how many verses can they find about faith? And they're good verses about faith. And every verse they bring up about faith, I need to be able to say amen to because where do they get those verses about faith? They got them out of the book. But I think there's some other verses they need to know too. And so uh, we might make the same mistake in various other uh, uh, places. But what we need is all the scripture. So scripture alone is great. But it needs to be all the scripture. And so we need all the scripture on every topic. 
in order to have the complete word and will of God. And if it isn't addressed in that, then we don't need it. As it says in Deuteronomy 29.29, my mother's favorite passage, the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe them. And so we need to observe all the things that God has said. And sometimes we'll get in trouble because we only know part of what God has said. And so read your Bible. Read your Bible some more. Read your Bible systematically. Read your Bible daily. Read the old part and read the new part. And the parts that are hard to understand, maybe read those the most. Because one of the things that we can fall to is reading the passages that are favorite passages. Reading the passages uh, that are familiar. Reading the passages that are comforting. And, And there's a lot there that are. Read those. But read all of it as well. And so this whole instruction of God is the thing that is our pattern. And there is great peril in changing the pattern. Uh, For time's sake, we'll do like the Hebrew writer. Time would fail us to speak of, and we'll just mention some names. Genesis 4, what do we know about Cain? He didn't operate by faith. Number 16, we talked about him this morning. Korah, he tried to change the leadership from what God had approved. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul... He's rejected because he offers the sacrifice that he should have waited for the priest to offer. Uzzah reached up to touch the ark that he wasn't supposed to touch in 2 Samuel 6. Uzziah approached the altar to offer his own sacrifice, even though the priest was standing right there saying, don't do it, man. He got struck with leprosy. But these things, of what kind of offering do you bring? Does it really matter who's in charge? Does it matter really who touches the ark or who brings a sacrifice? Do these things really matter? If you don't understand the pattern and you don't understand that there's a way that God revealed, who would have ever thought these things were so important? Just like if you, you, know, you didn't have the Old Testament, who would have thought that pork was so important to not eat? Aren't we glad we're not under that law? But who would have thought it was important except that God made it that way? And how do I know what's important to God or not? Only what he's told me. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, said Isaiah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, I'm on a different plane here. He, he has a different agenda often than what we can even think or conceive. Why did he make this an important thing? Why did he specify this and not that? Because he, he's God and he did. And that has to be enough answer. Although sometimes he gives us the reason, doesn't he? But not always. But we go with what God said. So there was a great peril in the past of changing the pattern. How about now? Second John 9. Talks about us holding to the doctrine of Christ. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive him to your house. And don't give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And so they've got to stick with the doctrine. We've got to stick with the doctrine. I've got to stick with the doctrine. That's my job to teach and explain it. It's not my job to make it. And it's not our job to change it. 
But we who walk by faith walk in the way of Christ, in the faith of Christ, to the glory of God, through Jesus Christ. And so there is a pattern to follow. It's what God said. It's all of what God said. And let us make sure that we do follow that. All right, with that then, I'll conclude. And the lesson is yours. We ask you this morning, are you walking by the way of Christ in a way that brings glory to God through him? By his instruction, as Paul asked the Corinthians, walking by faith, not by sight. If you need to begin that walk in that way, come and confess him. Or if you need to return to it, confessing sin, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.